Well, there are four more Sundays to Christmas, and as an evangelist on staff, my job is to reach out to people outside the Christian faith. So if that's you this evening and you're coming, we're just thrilled you're here. Thank you for coming. But also Ephesians 4, 10 and 11, to equip God's people for works of service. So it's primarily to mobilize you, the church family, to be speaking about the Lord Jesus uh, so that people can hear of him. And that's why this excellent Christmas card that you can pick up the door, I want to recommend. And just to say, I had nothing to do with putting it together, but it is outstanding. So take some, pray for colleagues, pray for friends. And Christian-wise, just to say, as you've been told, I'm sure, before, this is... Brothers and sisters, the easiest ask of the year. Culturally, it is still acceptable to say, do you celebrate Christmas and do you fancy coming to a carol service? So it's still actually culturally uh, okay to say that. And uh, and let me ask you this question as we think of of Christmas. And for some of you, as we come to this question, question, it'll almost cause your heart to burst with longing. So here's the next question. Who would you most love to become a Christian this Christmas? I mean, who would you most love? And you're thinking, oh, if that person came to faith in Christ, I mean, if God, if you did the miracle in them you've done in me, honestly, uh, if they came to faith, I'd never want another present any Christmas ever. Honestly, if they came to faith, for my wife and I, for Lucy and I, well, let's call this person Zed, they're in our family, and oh, the wonder if they came to Christ. I mean, the wonder of it. Honestly, it would be way beyond my dream of England winning the World Cup at rugby. And, uh, and, um, and, and, and if on Christmas morning, I mean, I imagine Christmas morning sitting down between the presents and, uh, and before lunch, to have that person say to me, please, Rico, can you just, just get me clear on the essence of the Christian life? So, I mean, uh, uh, the heart of the gospel, it's, is this right, Rico? Who is Jesus? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? To follow him? I mean, to have them ask me that and to get into a discussion about that, which is actually the core of what's on this sheet here, the identity, mission and call of Jesus. Do you know, it would just be overwhelming. And what's amazing is God does these miracles in people. He makes people hungry. The reason you're here, if you're Christian, is because God has opened your eyes and done a miracle. So he can do it for them. But oh, the wonder of it, Lord, please do it. And I wonder if you can see if I was sitting with Zed, that person in my family, Christmas morning and doing this. Do you see what we've got here? Identity, first of all. Can we see as we look down on the sheet here? So that's the first context of our passage in the Sower tonight. Who is Jesus? And we learn, Mark 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then verse 11, a voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. So what do we learn here? We learn that the guessing games about God have stopped. God has revealed himself. So many people say, I'm looking for God. No, he's revealed himself. And, and of course, Christian faith doesn't come from the East or the West. It comes from God. And he says, this is my son. What do you make of him? And then secondly, oh, that Christmas morning, if we could have a look at the mission of Jesus. Do you see? So that's why he came. That's the next key factor that we're, we're getting in this theme of the gospel. Do you see as we look down, Mark 2 verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus says, I'm a doctor. And doctors are interested in the sick because the sick know they need me. So if you think you're good without me, healthy without me, then you won't want me. 
As healthy people don't want doctors. So the qualification for being Christian, oh, if only our loved ones understood this, is not are you good enough, but are you bad enough? And yet I find with loved ones, they tend to lecture me about how good they are, saying, Rico, I'm good, so that's fine, I'm fine with God. But actually, Christianity is for people who know they're not good. I became a Christian because I'm a bad man, and I needed rescue. Christianity is about rescue, rescue for people who know they're rebels in God's world. Jesus came for people who realize they're bad, not for people who think they're good. And of course, that's the angel of the Lord to Joseph in a dream. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Oh, if only people would get that, that actually Jesus was born to die. And then thirdly, do we see as we look down, wouldn't it be wonderful if our loved ones understood this, if God opened their blind eyes to this? Do you see, thirdly, what does it mean to follow him, the call? And again, this verse goes right through Mark's gospel. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what does repentance mean? Oh, it's a wonderful thing, repentance. It means simply this. I'm now for what Jesus is for, and I'm against what he's against. So whatever Jesus is for, I'm for. Whatever he's against, I'm against. And I trust him to know what's best. And then I believe, I believe that when he died on the cross, he died so I could be forgiven. That's the heart of the gospel. Now, therefore, these are the three most important things in the most important syllabus in the universe. Identity, who is Jesus? Mission, why did he come? Call, what does it mean to follow him? And actually, you can color the three in. Do you know you can color in almost all of Mark's gospel? Say yellow was identity, red was mission, green was call. It's amazing, you could color in the whole gospel. Oh, what homework to give my relative Zed. So he could do that between Christmas and New Year. You know, I dream about these things. Identity, color it in. God's authority. This is who Jesus is. He can teach he can heal a leper. He, 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 can, he can flatten the storm because he is God's king. He's got authority. Mission. He even says to a paralyzed boy, son, your sins are forgiven because he's come to forgive sin. And call. Trust him to lead you. And you can go through Mark's gospel and do that. And it's just glorious, which is why I wonder if we can see if we flick back one page. And here it is at the bottom. Well, let's just do it here on the bottom of the sheets. Which is why chapter 3, verse 6 is such a punch in the face. I mean, it's like your beloved parents suddenly having a stand-up row at Christmas dinner and, and stomping out. There's this terrible punch in the face. 3, verse 6, do you see? Then the Pharisees went out, began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I mean, it couldn't be better. Here is the identity, the mission, and the call of Jesus. He's so marvelous. And they say, we're going to kill him. He's going to die. And it's amazing. These two groups, the Herodians and the Pharisees, that normally hate each other, unite with one intention to kill Jesus. The elites of the day reject him, the political and religious elites, to such a degree that they unite to kill him. It is so discouraging. And yet, as Will said last week, it's so realistic. We have to have this at the center of our expectations of being involved in the kingdom of God or else our hearts will break. And of course, the question then is why? That's the question. Next slide, please. The question is why? Oh, if, if, if Jesus is king, why do they reject Jesus? Why do they fall away? What's the reason it happens? 
And at this point, as we get to Mark chapter 4, it's as though Jesus holds up a mirror to all of our hearts. And he asked this question, where do I stand with Jesus? That, that, that's what we're asked. Let's flick that up on the slide as well, please. Thanks. So here's the question. Where do I stand with Jesus? So that's the question that this parable asks. And it's as though, here we go, you see this side, identity mission call, that's the seed. And then the other side that you've got, that's your response. So the seed, who is he? Why did he come? What does it mean to follow him? Amidst all the rejection, where do you stand? And then we see these responses here in the parable of the sower. Uh, It's an agricultural parable, even city dwellers like us can get it. Let's have a look. It was well read by Grace, but let's just have a look. Verses 3 to 6 as we look down. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60 and some 100 times. So there we are. That's, that's the, the, the outline. And Jesus then interprets it. So again, here's the interpretation. Here are the soils. Overleaf, here are the interpretations. And we'll see that there's the path the shallow soil, the thorny ground, and the good soil, and you're in the parable. I love being in a story. I love it when I tell my daughter stories and I'm in it, and there we are, my ego swells. Well, it's great you're in it today. And first of all, there's the path. Let's have a look. Chapter 4 and verse 15. Can you see on your bits of paper to take away? Some people are like seeds sown along the path, where the word is soon sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Well, that seems harmless enough, doesn't it? I mean, the fields in, in ancient Israel were, were long and narrow with stripes, uh, strips dividing them by little paths, which became as hard as pavement because of the feet, the hooves and the wheels of those who used them. So the seeds merely as they went out, as the, as the farmer threw them out, the seeds just bounced off the path. And those paths were like pavement. And it's lovely, isn't it? Oh, it's lovely because there's food for the little birdies. That's such a sweet thing. The birdies get some food. But please see who Jesus says the birds are who sweep on the bouncing seed, who they represent. Verse 15. Some people are like seeds sown along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it. Now, let's not be naive. Let's not be naive about the the battle that's being portrayed here. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, when it comes to Satan, of course, to some, he's a joke. So here we are. I won't put my, my, uh, my horns on, but, you know, we all, we all have these things. There they are. Um, I borrowed this from Pele. Pele, thank you so much for lending it. But, but, but you know, some, it's just a joke figure. He's just a joke. Grow up. We're in the 21st century. And the Bible would say, no, you're naive if you don't understand that there are powerful, complex, malignant forces, and this is the second opinion, steer clear of them who manifest themselves in occult activity. But what this passage says is that viewing Satan as occult or as a joke, well, neither is realistic, though, yes, we're right to flee from occult things. Here we're told there is a thief who gets inside my head. 
and my heart. And it's portrayed at the start of the Bible, Genesis 3, where uh, uh, the serpent, the devil, comes and says to Eve, you can't trust God. He doesn't know what's best. There'll be no judgment. He doesn't know what's best for you. And so she, she, she's tempted and sins. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to steal away God's word um, so that you steer clear of God. So, 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 you know, you may think, well, I'll steer clear of the devil, but you can't steer clear of him. And this passage says there's a thief who wants to take not your wallet, purse, and keys, but the message of Christ. So there's a large yellow sign down by Oxford Circus, and it bears the sober words. Let's have them up. Here's the sign. Warning, thieves operate in this area. You are not obliged to be their victim. Guard your valuables. I thought it was quite amusing when I saw that. Well, actually, this, this verse 15 says a similar thing. It says there's a spiritual battle going on. Uh, this is what Satan does, and you're not obliged to be his victim. So there's nothing more galling and aggravating than finding your wallet and purse has been snatched. And you can't even think where it happened. And the thief has worked so so quickly and, 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 and cleverly and cleanly that your valuables are gone, and you don't even miss them. And some people find the person of Christ is taken from them before they even have a chance to make an assessment. I was having um, lunch with my godson, and he said to me uh, the other day, um, my friends, the moment they think of Christian faith, think, well, I'm a scientist, so I've got to be an atheist. And that was put into them at school. And I went through some of the evidence just for a creator, and he said, I'm staggered. I'm staggered. But he'd just been taught, you know, boom, the moment you hear Christian faith, scientist, atheist. Just madness in terms of the evidence. Come to Christianity Explored tomorrow night if you're wanting to ponder that. We'd love to chat with you. But here's the thing. What is it that makes the path so hard in the context of Mark chapter 4? So, so why does the seed just bounce off? So Satan can easily pluck it away. What, what makes it? Well, have a look back down. Just back over the page. You see on the mission of Jesus, chapter 2, verse 17. This is what makes the seed, the, 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 the hard the heart so hard, the path so hard. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So, of course, if you think you're a good person, as you come along to a carol service, you don't need rescue. Rico, I'm a decent person. I'm a good guy. Well, if that's the case, you're not going to need, you're not going to need rescue. This is, this is what sends members of my family to hell. They're absolutely convinced that the word Christian and the word good are interchangeable, and they're both. They have no sense of, of their sin, really. And so if you're a self-righteous person, you don't need Jesus to die on the cross. Let's say that, as Jesus called them this, you know, the righteous, he was being sarcastic. Chapter 3, verse 6, they wanted to kill him, these people. <laughs> but actually, if there's one thing that will blind people, that will harden their hearts and cause the message to be plucked, plucked away, it's saying sin isn't a problem for me. I'm a decent person. I don't need an appointment with Dr. Jesus. So let's pray that our, our friends will see that. And the way they'll see that is if we ourselves go... Actually, I'm so aware of my need of rescue. If that's in us as we ask people. And how do we do that? Now, it's the hardest time, I think, to read the Bible in the year. I certainly find that the Christmas period. It's so busy. But actually, we read our Bibles in the morning, and our Bible is like a mirror. It shows us our sin. We come to Christ for cleansing, and it means we're humble people. So the path isn't hard in us as we need the Lord Jesus.
Secondly, there is, next slide please, the, the shallow soil. Can we see chapter, as we look down, 4 and verses 16 and 17. So again, the mirror's coming up. How does this connect with you as we're warned by the Bible? Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word at once, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Um, In Israel, much of the land was a thin two to three inch veneer over limestone bedrock. And if the seed falls there, then the warm sun quickly heats the seed up in the shallow soil. It sprouts into a feverish growth. But then as the sun beats down and the plant's roots meet bedrock, it withers and dies. So Jesus speaks here of those who are thrilled with the identity, mission and call of Jesus. They go, God, Jesus, this is who he is. This is why he came. That's what it means to follow him. It's marvelous. I now know what story I'm in. I know where I've come from, who I, where I'm going, who's in charge. It brings such joy. But ladies and gentlemen, Satan doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, oh, game over. No, he doesn't give up. No, he waits for the honeymoon to end. Time and again at Christianity Explored, we say the hardest year of the Christian life is the second year. He waits for the tough time to come. And Jesus warns us tough times will come. And I wonder if you can see that in the word as we look down in verse 17. Do we see? But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes. Do you see if we put it up on the slide? When, not if, when, when it comes. Alec Matea, next slide please. Uh, He said, there's no such thing as an untested faith. And if we went round the room now, we'd talk to person after person who could talk about the time when their faith was really tested. And you see, Satan works uh, to keep the new believer shallow in his or her faith. He does this by getting those who've received the word with joy to expect their joy to be undiminished. So it won't come to testing. I, I'm set, you know, I'm set for a life of ease. So their faith isn't in God, but in their agenda for God. And when that agenda crumbles, because God's agenda is to make me more like Jesus, and tough times will often do that. Not that I welcome them, but they'll do it. You say, well, I didn't sign up for this. When struggles of, of life come uh, and the shallow believer withers. And then they go, well, God, if you're all loving and all powerful, why has this happened? Of course, he's making me into the likeness of Christ, but it can be so hard. And sometimes I don't know what's happening. So I've got to look at the cross and say, if you're in control on Good Friday, you're in control today, but I can't see it, but I'll keep following. And furthermore, they discovered, you see, verse 17 there, that there's opposition that I didn't encounter before. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word. So they feel the pain of standing with Christ in a world that stands against him. I mean, these are haunting words. John chapter 3. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. I don't want the light. They're things I want to do outside of the light. And Satan goes to work to persuade people that Christ is not worth the trouble he brings. He's not worth eternity. So there is criticism and misunderstanding from people around you. And Satan whispers, this may be true, but it's not worth it. (sighs) Brother, sister, is Satan whispering that to you at the moment? Maybe you go home for Christmas and it's going to be tough, very tough. Just to say, if you're thinking it's not worth it, this is the source. It's the devil. 
that whispers that. Or you might be thinking, you know, I'm not going to bother to give out the Christmas card. I'll just keep my head down. I'll, I'll, I'll gradually fade away from witness. I'll fade away from church. I'll stop going to Roots Wednesday night. I won't pop into that. I'll just have a quiet life. Well, understand if that happens, where the source of that thinking is. Thirdly, can we see the thorny ground? Chapter 4 and verse 18 as we look down in 19. Still others like seed sown among thorns. Again, here comes the mirror. Hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Well, there are some people who survive the initial attempt at removal. So they resist the satanic dart that says, it's a fairy tale, you don't need this, it'll spoil your life. And they hold on in tough times. So they hear the words of Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. But Satan still doesn't give up. You're in a war, a battle, from assaulting their hearts. He is nothing if not persistent and inventive. So next slide, please. Let's have a look. Do you see what his next strategy is? Not adversity, but prosperity. The desire for other things. So these are people who don't reject God's word in their lives. No, they still read it and they go to hear it explained but it doesn't captivate their heart. So as the mirror goes up, their hearts are divided. And by the way, this is what the Bible goes on about idolatry. It's why the first two commandments are about idolatry. If this is an important warning, why are the first two commandments about idols? Good things that become God things. And so often we're, we're like the heart of a girl to whom a young man proposed. He said, darling, I want you to know that I love you. More than anything else in the world, and I want to marry you. I'm not rich, and I don't have a yacht or a Ferrari like Johnny Brown, but I do love you with all my heart. And she thought for a minute and replied, I love you too with all my heart. But tell me a bit more about Johnny Brown. (laughs) Now, how do we diagnose the idols of the heart? Well, here are a couple of questions that help us diagnose them. What do you think about when your mind's in neutral? What if you lost it would destroy your happiness? Just as we go away, those good things, but they can be the thing around which actually my whole life begins to revolve. What's the idol? (sighs) For me, do you know what it was? It was was being seen as a fine Christian pastor. But actually, that would mean that I'd be inefficient. And when I was inefficient, fine Christian pastors aren't inefficient. So I would, if you asked me if I'd done something, I'd say, yes, I've done it. Lie to you. Run off and do it before you find out. So my idol turned me into a liar. And I had to say, no, actually, my identity is not being seen as a fine Christian pastor. My identity is in the grace of the Lord Jesus. So then once I understood that, I'd say, look, you asked me to do it. I haven't done it. I'm sorry. I'll try and do it now. Please forgive my inefficiency. Took me 10 years to work that out. Where's your idol? Where are you lying? Where are you losing your temper? Well, that'll unlock where your heart is. And do you see as we look down, it's interestingly, the worries of this life. So worries can reveal the fact that we treasure, serve, and seek the wrong things. If I don't believe God will protect and provide for me, the next logical step is to worry because someone else has got to do that, and that'll choke my faith. Parents impose this on kids all the time. These are their worries. They don't have a faith. And so they'd say, no, you've got to get that in place. 
And so, of course, then I start focusing on whatever I think will provide for me, not the Lord who provides everything. And we know that we have God's power, his goodness, his love and his wisdom. So we should have the confidence to say, Lord Jesus, please keep me obeying you. Keep me obeying you here. Just, Lord, I trust you. Help me to obey you. And I commit myself and my circumstances to my heavenly father. And Lord, I'll be content in them. And Lord, how do I reach out now? Lord, I commit my situation to you. Please don't let my worries choke me. These are two quotes that I love. If we can flick them up, here they are. Two quotes I love. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as I give God my worries, he gives me his peace. Lord, this is what I'm concerned for. I give that to you. And he actually gives me back by his spirit, his peace. And I love Don Carson. I've yet to meet a perennially worrying, uptight person who has a good prayer life. There may be one, but I haven't met them yet. And, you know, Christmas is the hardest time to pray because we're so busy. Oh, Lord, please help us to pray and give our worries to you. Well, let me close. And of course, lastly, we have the good soil as we finish. Do you see verse 20? Others like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop. 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So, so well, as you can see, there are those in whom the word is not stolen, abandoned or neglected. And I look out now and I see people who are like this. And I'm so grateful for you. Such a privilege to be in the same church. But they've accepted it. And so they hear of the identity, mission and call of Jesus. And it is the most precious thing they've ever heard. When I was six, we lived in Africa. And my dad would go on business trips. We lived in the Belgian Congo. And he would bring me back from his business trips an asterisk book. And I can tell you as a six-year-old, when I got one of these, I could have read it on a manure heap and I would be totally content. He'd give me this the next two hours. I mean, I just loved asterisks. And actually, if we had that in place, we would win the next Rugby World Cup. But what I'm saying is, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that it was my treasure. I was totally content with it. Now I'm saying, is Jesus your treasure? Identity, this is who he is the sovereign Lord. Mission, he died for you. He knows all about you and he loves you anyway. Call, you can trust him to know what's best. Is he your treasure? Well, that's where the good soil goes. Those who say, yeah, and then, and then there's 30, 60, 100 fold worth of fruit as we act upon that. These are the people who, who say, you know, they say, do you know what? I'm going to be inviting my friends and the services I can't bring friends to, I'll be serving But Lord Jesus, I'm all out. We're going to proclaim you this Christmas. It's the easiest ask of the year. So I'm in. And when it comes to my giving, I'm in. Because in this short life, I want as many people to hear as possible. This is what Lindsay Brown, who was the head of IFE, said. I was so struck by this quote. I've observed that those Christian workers who give decades of fruitful service know the gospel to be both true and wonderful. Oh, I've met Christians who know it's true, but they don't think it's wonderful. Yeah, it's true. It's true. That's yeah, true. I mean, it's wonderful. He's died for me. He knows all about me. He called me to himself. Do you know it's both true and wonderful? Because that is the heart from which fruit will grow in abundance. Who can I invite? How can I serve? You're my treasure. And so we're saying to our friends, look, if Jesus is coming at Christmas, isn't the best news you've ever heard in your life. You can be sure, you can be certain you've misunderstood it. Please come. Please give it a hearing. So as we close, what does this mean? Well, four things. Let's just pop them up one after the other. So first of all, be a moth, not a bat. 
So head towards the light as moths do, not away from it. So with the Bible, get your Bible open. Keep heading towards Jesus. He's your treasure. Perhaps, I don't know, underline identity, mission, call in your Bibles. But keep feeding on Jesus. Secondly, this Christmas. Secondly, scatter the seed. Because we don't know where the good soil will be, but let's just scatter it. Let's just invite people. Do you know, we always, used, we always say at All Souls, the biggest fish are landed at Christmas. And the reason was, in 1953, John Stott's secretary, Frances Whitehead, was converted. And she was a spiritual giant. I cannot tell you how much she did for God's, God's kingdom. 1953 at Christmas, she came to faith. So scatter the seed. Could be a Francis, but let's get it out. Thirdly, as we go on, uh, pray for your loved ones. Lord God, may they understand as I do the identity, mission, and call of Jesus. Pray for Zed, aren't my relative. Lord, please, may they get that in place. May they one day be coloring in their Mark's gospels to see those great truths. And Lord, may my heart be responding to this. May Satan not pluck this away. And then lastly, lastly, don't be discouraged by discouragements. Expect them. Will said this so well last week as a young man going into the Church of England. It wasn't pride that was the biggest worry. It was discouragement. We're to expect it. But as we'll see next week, it doesn't mean the kingdom doesn't grow and grow and grow. Let's pray together. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Oh, Father God, we we pray for our own hearts, not just for the hearts of those we love. Lord, please help us to spot the shallowness. Help us to see the idols we need to root out. Please, Father, help us to see where Satan is at work. And Father, as we pray that for ourselves, we pray that for our loved ones. And Lord, we long to be good soiled because we know your son is so good. May he be our treasure this Christmas. Thank you for who he is and why he came and what it means to follow him. And we pray that you'd enable us to be those who are overwhelmed with joy at who Jesus is. Amen.